We're here with Hopkin Mancini of Punk Rock Aerobics, the rock and roll bands Fuzzy, the Monsoors, the Count Me Outs, Shepherdess, Band of Their Own, Andy California, Marty Kings, and Dyke Mike. Hi, Hilkin. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Uh, I just turned 30 yesterday. You did? Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. That's yeah, scary. Yeah. I think of you as like 23 or something, 24, maybe when I met you. How, how yeah, old yeah, I was, met you? Uh, I was 23, yeah. Okay, yeah. Wow, it goes fast, huh? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Shit. What did you do for your 30th? Anything fun? I uh, ate a lot of Chinese food and listened to records and just kind of hung out in my backyard. That sounds nice. Yeah, yeah. Did what you, have you been up to? You drink a oh, Mai Tai? I didn't. Uh, I just had some beers, but, uh, but yeah, what have what you been up to? Well, um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a weird time, so it's a funny question. I yeah. mean, life is different, but I find that I've done a lot of working in my life. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I've sort of never really had a lot of time off. So this whole COVID thing kind of gave me some pause and some time to not, you know, work every single day um, and have some time off. And so I've actually looking at the silver lining, obviously, because there's a lot of terrible things about COVID, but, you know, on the positive side of things, it's given me a lot of time to sort of think about my life and what I've done in the past and what I want to continue doing and project and art wise and all that stuff. So in a way it's kind of been cool, cool time. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah definitely. You have to close I, I your agree. store for COVID. I did. I had to close it from about March. I remember it was Friday the 13th. So it was March 13th. And then I didn't open it until about June something 16th or 17th or something like that. Oh, wow. Do you want to give a plug to it? I don't know if Chris mentioned it in the beginning. Um, oh, yeah. If shit. people are, aren't familiar <laughs> with, with your store. I'm sure. I mean, it's a vintage clothing store in Jamaica Plain called 40 South Street. And uh, it used to be called Gumshoe. It was owned by this um, man named Otto, who actually was a bartender at The Rat um, back in the 80s. Um, oh. And I used to shop there. I moved to Jamaica Plain in like 1992 when I was in my 20s. And I used to, um, I mean, it wasn't really a store, but it was sort of like a warehouse. And every once in a while, you ride your bike by and you'd be like, oh, that dude's in there. Like, let's go. Because he'd like hang a t-shirt or like a Lacoste pullover or something on the grates. And um, you'd go in and he'd have all this sick vintage and he owned a store called Bertha Cool, like a proper store, you know, with credit cards and displays and above the rat um, called Bertha Cool. And I used to shop there and I don't know, it was just weird. So I just, uh, when Punk Rock Aerobics stopped becoming a full-on full-time job slash project, I didn't know what to do to make money and I would thrifted a lot in my life. So I moved in with him at his store he taught me the business and i took over his store and eventually in 2005 i bought him out 
No, in 2005, I moved in with him. In 2010, I bought him out and made the back room the Girls Rock campaign office. So that's oh. really the story with that. So Girls Rock campaign, Boston's office is in the back, and 47th Street Vintage is in the front, which is my vintage shop. Oh, very Great. cool. Cool. Nice. Um, and you, so you said you moved in uh, to make a play in 92. You're originally from New York, right? Yeah, I'm just from upstate New York. Um, I moved to Boston to go to school, college, conservatory. Oh, cool. Um, so when you were um, a kid, what kind of music were you listening to? What, what is this kid? You mean like five <laughs> or like 17? Yeah, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, I'd say, yeah, like I guess like you were like, 30. yeah, child. I was going to say child, but yeah. How young? Uh, okay, so we can go with five, yeah. Really? Sure. <laughs> um, well, I listen to a lot of jazz because my dad is a, my dad's a musician. He can sing and play kind of any instrument. He played a lot of trumpet. And he had a, do you know who the four freshmen are? No. Yeah. The four freshmen were like an acapella vocal group that, were heavily they heavily influenced Brian Wilson the Beach Boys and my father was in a four freshman cover group and like four men would come over and he'd sit around on the piano and they'd sing all these songs so like I, I grew up in a really musical home and sort of like I guess I, I didn't have a chance of not being an entertainer or a musician mm. I simply grew around that grew up around it my mother was an actress so but I listened to a lot of jazz and like musicals and jazz singers, you know, like Nina Simone and Nita O'Day and, um, you know, sort of those kinds of like, you know, classic jazz and vocal stylings like jazz singers and mm -hmm. Mark Murphy. Um, Anyways, so yeah, I, I sort of grew up around that kind of thing. And I learned how to sing because my dad would make me sing with him a lot too. <laughs> He'd make me sing harmonies with him in the car. And so, I don't know, I just grew up from like more classic jazz and musical Broadway show tune singing kind of stuff in my house. And then as I got older, my sister really liked punk rock. And um, I started to like go into her room and I would find like these cassettes because this is like the 80s. Um, she had like a fear cassette and like big boys. I don't know why she had a bunch of LA punk. But then yeah. I started to be like, I started to be like, oh, and I'd listen to the Bad Brains. And it was just weird because I went from like this classical kind of jazz and musical theater and Anito Day and just like classic jazz singers. And then I started listening to punk rock and then. I wanted to be punk rock, you know. And then I started to like go to shows. Uh, my sister was older than me, so I got a fake ID. And there was a rock club down the street from where I grew up, and I got to see um, Dee Kreitzen and Steve Bader's when he was in Lords of the New Church, and the Dead Milkmen, the Smithereens, and like I don't know all these bands that were, you know, really influenced me because I was like, wow, this is really weird, scary. You know, scary because you're like 16 or 17, and you're gonna rock club and things were probably more lenient then it was easier to get into clubs i guess with your fake id <laughs> yeah 
But I, I remember being really confused, conflicted, and excited by like seeing Stiv Baders, you know, being like, what is going on? But I knew that I was really into it. I was really excited by it and I was really intrigued by it. And I became sort of obsessed with like, what is rock and roll? Like, what does it mean? What kind of boundaries can you push as a performer, as a musician, as an artist? Like, you can be anything. You could be a man, you could be a woman, you can wear a miniskirt, you can you can be sexual, you can be mean, you can be scary. I mean, like, I just felt like it was so freeing. Um, and I, I wanted to do it, but I was too scared. So I just went to school as, um, you know, as a, it's, I was a dancing, I was a dance major. So I decided to go to the Boss Conservatory um, as a vocal major and a dance major and sort of you know, learn the craft and become like a teacher. I thought I would teach at the college level, like music or dance or something, but I secretly wanted to be in a band and um, kind of why I wanted to go to Boston. Wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize all that um, about you. I didn't know any that was the jazz background or um, that you studied dance and all the, all the other stuff that you just mentioned. And uh, I definitely, I was going to ask you at what Point where you getting into uh, made the leap into getting into punk rock. So, um, um, thank you very much for telling me all that. Um, did I have a question? Did you ever? Uh, this may sound like a really obvious question, but as a huge fan, did you ever see the Ramones? No. Oh no, I did. <laughs> you know what? I did, but they were so old that it felt like okay. I wasn't seeing them. Because they were basically right. half of them are dead, and I did see yeah. Joey though, and he—I'll never forget it because we were playing. Fuzzy used to play festivals a lot, you know. Like this yeah. is back in the '90s when your record label would be like, "Sure, here's like forty thousand dollars. Like, here's oh, you want to go on tour here? Here's yeah. twenty thousand, twenty-four thousand dollars. Go, go on tour for the summer. Go buy a van. You know, like insane. I mean, at the time, I didn't realize how lucky I was because I was a baby I was like 21 22 years old and I just thought like oh this is what happens you know you yeah. start a band you get signed and then people give you money to go on tour so we were really 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 lucky and I didn't know how lucky I was but we would play these huge festivals but we would always be like either going on at like two o'clock in the afternoon when nobody cared or we would be like on the second stage like when Lollapalooza would have like the side stage so we would play some of these festivals because we toured America like a lot and we would be like in New Mexico and playing some weird festival and then we would get to stay and hang out and then see the bigger part of the festival that evening or the big stage and then you get to see other bands that were cooler and huge like the Ramones or Cheap Trick or some shit like that so right. I did actually in the 90s I guess maybe it was I think it was 94 or something I saw the Ramones and I just remember that I was really depressed <laughs> yeah yeah well they would have been on their way out at that point oh I mean yeah. it was like so depressing I just remember he was doing um do you do you do you do you want to dance yeah, right yeah, yeah and in between here we go do you do do you do you want to do <laughs> like he could barely breathe you know what i mean i just like i can't watch this this is really sad i was like getting really upset watching it <laughs> yeah we went to the mc50 show like last year or whatever a couple of years ago and it was like i don't know i mean my friend of ours invited us to it and uh yeah it was yeah i love the mc5 but it was like they played like the recording 
like uh, yeah. kick out of like the rambling um rambling rose and like the recording was like more exciting than like when they actually like got into it like like they started off with that like speech at the beginning and then the band went into it and it's, there's only like wayne kramer is the only one that's like left and it's just like you're seeing like a cover group yeah no it's really hard and it's not yeah. really fair because you know people get older the music gets slower it's just yeah. harder it makes sense what Absolutely. i like to see is like when i saw wayne kramer i saw wayne kramer play um like a solo tour some i can't remember he was just touring and this was at tt the bears in like 97 or something and you know he seemed really you know vibrant and really entertaining and really good i mean it, he was the kind of guy like if you saw this guy coming towards you walking down the street you'd want to turn around and walk the other way you know what i mean <laughs> yeah he was great and um that's what i'm thinking about in general about life too it's like there's a certain point where you can keep regurgitating the same shit or you can be like you know what? what's really gonna make me feel on fire what's really gonna inspire me and like that's what i'm gonna do and i don't care if people don't want to see it or they think you know it's boring or whatever it's it's got to make you feel alive and it's got to be exciting to you you know and you can tell when people are just going through the motions they're doing a tour because they, they need to pay for their house or their kids college or whatever the fuck and then there's the people who are like i'm just gonna do this like you never yeah. felt that way when you saw dead moon i mean how old were they and they were still playing shows and i never felt that way about them. but that's because they kept it really they weren't doing reunion shows ever they were just putting out more records and new songs right yeah they toured like crazy we saw fred and tootie uh a few years ago and before fred passed away yeah they're they're uh definitely um they sent the bed uh, set the benchmark for sure yeah um yeah incredible band um so yeah you mentioned fuzzy um i was going to ask you about that um so you guys were signed to Atlantic. Um, that was in ninety, the early nineties. So it was like a ninety-four-ish, right? Or um, formed in ninety-two. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I th think I was. Yeah, I think it was ninety-two, and then I just remember that we were trying to. Um, get our shit together because we we're going to go on tour. Well, I don't know actually what, what happened first. You know, it's really hard. It's hard to remember, but our sure. drummer was in the Lemonheads and Nirvana, Nirvana had happened. And because, you know, it, it literally went from being like, Hey, you know, there's this band, you should listen to this, like this guy I was dating who was in this band called Slaughter Shack that won the rumble. <laughs> Yeah, the rumble. He gave yeah. me um, he gave me a cassette, and he was like, "You should check this out. It's really good." And I was like, "Oh, what is it?" And it said bleach on it, and I remember being like, "Oh, what's that?" <laughs> yeah. and, and like, that was like ninety two, ninety one, and I remember being like, "Oh yeah, this is good," but like nobody knew, you know what I mean, what was gonna happen. Right. And then, you know, the Screaming Trees and Nirvana played at Green Street and JP, and we went yep. to that show, and you just didn't think that it was going to happen like the way it did. But what I really didn't realize was that there would be such a trickle down effect that would affect my life. 
you know, like because Nirvana and everything that happened, like all of a sudden, because record labels are idiots and they can't think for themselves, they go, oh, okay, three guys, rock trio. Okay, let's put money into that. What do we got? What do we got on our roster? And then they, Atlantic Records looked at their roster and they saw three guys, the Lemonheads. The lead singer's cute, you know, and he's kind of grungy. Great, let's give them money. So all of a sudden, my friend who plays drums in this band, the Lemonheads, is like, hey, I'm gonna go on tour and I'm gonna go to LA and like make a huge record with the Rob Brothers that produced like the Almond Brothers and like Linda Ronstadt and like crazy level rock and roll. And like suddenly it was like, hey, so because we're going on tour, like you can use our practice space. And like, when I come back, we should record. And because the Lemonheads got so much attention, you know, Fuzzy got some attention. And then before you know it, literally like, I'm playing a show at the Middle East upstairs and I walk off the stage and some guy comes up to me and hands me a business card. And he's like, Hey, uh, I really like your band. And, um, I'd like to consider signing you if you would consider meeting with me and talking to me. And I'm like, what? Like some guy from Atlantic <laughs> records is like giving me his business card after I've barely been playing guitar for like, you know, six months. Cause I'd been in bands, but not really playing guitar. And like, offering me a record deal and I'm we're terrible you know we barely have songs we barely <laughs> can play I mean not Dave and Winston and Chris was great but like as far as I was concerned I was like the shittiest guitar player ever was and had the biggest record deal I'll ever have um but it was just a time you know and it was like a trickle down effect where suddenly everybody was getting record deals and everybody was going on tour and everybody you know who had the tour bus who got the van, you know, who got the three label deal, what you did with the extra money, who was producing it. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Was the yeah. actual, how was the, the signing process? Was that like a series of meetings or did you have to like present yourself in a way or was, did it all happen kind of quickly? Well, we were really lucky because we were really lucky because we, we recorded a demo before Dave went to Australia with the Lemonheads and because the guy in Australia, like he brought the demo with him and the guy in Australia who was playing bass on the Lemonheads and on, no, he didn't play on a shame about Ray Juliana did, but he took over the tour and um, he put a record out for us. It was just like an EP on his small label, but we were playing, we we're getting it played on WMBR and we decided we wanted to make a full length. And so we started to save our money and sign up for like a recording studio time. Cause this is back when it was really hard to make your own records. You had a four track and that was it. And you could like bounce tracks, but after like seven or six tracks bouncing, you couldn't hear anything anymore. It's like really hard to make your own record. So we saved our money and you know, I took my $200 and Chris took her her $200, you know, and we went to Fort Apache Studios because we really liked the band Come, and they had recorded at Fort Apache with a producer named Tim O'Hare. And Eleven Eleven had come out, and this band Come was on Matador, and we thought they were sick, and we were like, we want that guy to record us. So we're going to save our money, we're going to go to Fort Apache, and we're going to totally sound amazing. And so we went there, we waited for Dave to get done touring with the Lemonheads or have a break. And we went into the studio, but when we went into the studio, we didn't know that everybody, not everybody, but the man that owned it, Gary Smith, who produced the Pixies um, with, um, you know, John, God, I'm forgetting his name. 
so embarrassing anyways they were all like hey we really like your band you know like we want to manage you and we were like what because we just were thinking like oh we're gonna save our money and go into this fancy studio and make a record but almost coincidentally gary who like managed tanya you know belly and juliana and you know natalie merchant like crazy people was like i want to manage your band he, he seemed to like to manage female acts too because he managed the muses and he was like we're gonna help you we want you can definitely record here but also like we'll help you and manage you in your career and we're like well that's good because Atlantic Records wants to sign us. And they were like, oh shit. So he's like, I'm gonna get my lawyer. So his lawyer is like Rosemary Carroll, who's married to Danny Goldberg, who just freaking signed Nirvana. So we had these huge connections suddenly out of nowhere. Like our lawyer was Rosemary Carroll. She negotiated the contracts with Atlantic. We didn't do anything. We just were like, hey, look at this. They just make their money. They tell you what's right. They tell you what you should do. You're like, great. I mean, you're a 22 year old kid. And someone's like, you're going to buy your third record. You're going to get $70,000. You're like, oh my God. Okay. Like I'm going to say no. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. Where wow. do I sign? Like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't have to worry about money. I don't, I'm going to be, you know, so it just felt, it was a crazy time, you know, it was crazy. And you're going in the studio and then, you're hanging out, you know, we got, we went on tour with Dinosaur Jr. We went on tour with Belly. We went on tour with the Lemonheads. We're on tour with these bands that are tour buses and flying and hotels, letting us stay in their hotels because they're not even using their hotel rooms because they got to fly to the next gig. So you're like hanging out with this higher echelon where you're like, wow, this is amazing. But you're sort of like in a la la land because you're just playing shows every night and drinking beer and being like, okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? You know? Yeah, it's just, uh, it just sounds like a completely different era that I, you know, I can't even like grasp, you know what I mean? Like just, just uh, the way that the, the industry is working that, you know, where people are still, you know, regularly buying like albums and, you know, just going to record, like in the general public and everything. It well, just, yeah, I mean, yeah. that was, that was your job sure. and they would tell yeah. you. You know, you would leave Lafayette, Louisiana, get in the van, you know, stay in some shitty hotel, go to the Waffle House, head towards the next show. And then you'd talk on the phone to your manager or your label, or your publicist, and they'd be like, oh, SoundScan. So you guys sold some really good, you know, like they tell you how many records you sold in that town before that show or at that show or, you know, you do in stores. I mean, it was a lot about like what we would make fun of our label. We call it, you know, moving units. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was all about like moving units, like how, how many records could you sell? And for Fuzzy, I mean, we sold nothing. We were like a tax write-off for Atlantic Records. But we were on tour with these other bands that, you know, were significantly, you know, significant amounts of merchandise and records were selling. Yeah, it's funny that there's a there's a Nirvana song. I'm sure you know the the one that's like a radio-friendly unit shifter. Right, right. And it's not a you know it's a very like noisier song and everything but um yeah no it's it's just crazy like i said yeah i mean also just rock music seemed to be just a lot more uh the center of uh, you know attention at the, that time even just music in general i feel like isn't as much but nowadays i don't know but but still like um you know kind of what you were saying earlier like things being pressure i think that's 
I appreciate the underground a lot more. Um, I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I feel like it's interesting to talk about because I do feel like, like when we would go on tour, we'd be on tour with the Posies or, you know, a band on yeah. Sub Pop, like Velocity Girl, or I don't even know, you know, or Dinosaur Jr. And, you know, like people would go to three or four shows, they'd follow you. Like you'd be in New Jersey yeah. and they'd be at the Stone Pony with you. And then you'd be in a shitty club in Connecticut and then they'd be there. And then they'd like, you know, you just see people and you'd be like, wow, that's, you know, but it was sort of normal then. And now yeah, yeah. in Spain, like that happened to the Monsieurs, you know, like you would see. <laughs> like the same like five people being like oh we thought you were so great we came to this place now and they go to like you know the three different clubs you played in france or something because they were close enough like that what happened in america i felt like still happens in europe but i don't think it, it happens in america the same as it did especially not for younger people but like i mean i think if you're at a level of like you know let's say the Lemonheads are doing another reunion tour, the dinosaur is, you know, there might, there probably are people buying like three or four tickets to three or four of your shows, but that's like a nostalgia thing. Yeah. But as far as like people just like following you around and like, just cause they enjoyed the music and they liked live music, like that doesn't happen as much here, but I also don't, you know, I don't know, like as far as touring, like we toured a little bit in America as the Monsieurs, but it was just so expensive and not worth it that we would only tour in Europe because it just seemed like people gave a shit. Sure. Yeah. From what I gathered from talking to people, you know, and they just they seem to take uh, care of bands much, much better over there. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. But it's also because the people care about them. People come sure. out and see them and pay money to see them and buy drinks and have fun. And older people too. It's not like in America, like once you're a certain age, there's some sort of, you know, stigma about like, you know, you're supposed to get older and not go see rock shows. And I don't know, like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be making money and yeah. having kids or, you know, settling down. And in Europe, it's like, no, you can still drink and have fun and have a life and get older. It's not as much issue about aging as it is in America. Yeah, I certainly, I mean, I don't plan on stopping anytime soon, but yeah, but uh, the turning 30 or anything like that, just, I don't know, I know what you mean though, sometimes people are like, they just over, yeah, like they overemphasize that, like, oh, you gotta like do this or that or grow up or whatever, and it's like, I don't know, it's like you can do multiple things at the same time, but but hey, there's, there's still some cool older people that come out to a lot of shows around here, like uh, Chris and Michael, or they go to more shows than I do. Yeah, no, I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. It's just depending yeah. on, it's harder for people to think for themselves. That's all to be like, yeah. I want to see this. Like, why, why do you want to see this music? You know, people don't understand like why live music is so dead. And it's because no one really shares or promotes it enough anymore. And I don't know why, I don't know what happened, but it certainly feels like something happened. And there's been a shift from people wanting to see live music or staying home. But now, actually, we can't even talk about this because COVID is insane. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Nothing's so, happening. Yes. At the present yeah. moment. Yeah. That's funny because yeah, Chris, was, Chris was thinking, we were talking about this earlier, and I'm curious what you think. Once we are able to 
go see shows again and stuff like that. Do you think that a lot of people are just dying to see a show and it'll be like a lot of them will be unlike anything we've seen before or oh well, I don't mean to say it presented that way it's like either or but the other way I was thinking was maybe people just kind of are over live music not that it's been like that in Boston recently but like I'd say in the past few years it it seems different especially in the underground as it once was I don't know what you think about that well, I mean, I do feel like there's de definitely going to be a resurgence of people wanting to go out and community and people are dying to see things and hang out. So I, I think in a way people aren't going to care what's playing. They're just going to want to go out. Um, but I do think that things have changed in the sense where well, everyone's just so careful now. We have to be really careful about, you know, offending people and being safe and making sure it's a safe space for everybody. And I think that's put a, like a damper on our um, freedom of speech um, and performance and feeling like you can be dangerous and you can act crazy. Um, I think everyone feels like they have to be so careful and polite now. I think that's been an issue as well. But maybe um, feeling so repressed from COVID and also from this country making us feel so repressed, we might feel like you know, we can feel more free to say what we think and act how we want to be as an artist and actually perform and not feel afraid to cross boundaries and be dangerous or whatever, you know, it is. I just feel like people are afraid to like be impolite at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. Um, yeah, I mean, because like for us, definitely, we kind of are always came from like the rock and roll sort of background or like like the even like with like garage stuff and it's always seemed like kind of like a wild fun time and it seems like more in, in more recent years even just in our experience that yeah people seem to be less enthusiastic on that kind of style of like you know it's like yeah i might fall head first into the drum kit whatever you know what i mean people seem to like be a little bit more like cautious or something or and not necessarily in a good way either or just even just i don't know yeah I don't know. Yeah, it seems to be like the fun element seems to be a little bit of sucked out of it for me. I don't know. Um, at yeah. times. It's just a different time, yeah. you know? Yeah, I like to, I mean, I I overall like to just have like a positive vibe or positive attitude. So, you know, I'm, but uh, I know, I think I know what you mean, though. Um, so actually, the and I speaking of like like the sort of like garage kind of stuff i've been keeping up with the punk rock aerobics videos that you've been doing with all the different bands and interviews mm. with, uh like it was like eric friedel and um shannon shaw and um i'm trying to think about <laughs> but you know obviously yeah, like yeah. All, all the different all all the different folks you know i mean there's been so many good there's uh the guy from subsonics uh, you know the cavemen and all all these people and everything um yeah so i didn't know as much about i knew you've been doing punk rock aerobics for a while now so um it was originally a book in uh, 2000 well so here's the thing that happened is that it's like a long story i don't know if you want to actually <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah it's, it, totally go for it it's just that from 90 to like 97 I was just sort of in a band and like it was easy and 
I could go on tour and the record label gave me money. And then all of a sudden this thing happened, which was called like the internet. <laughs> yeah. I've never like, heard of it. People started to um, get dropped from their labels. I mean, it was also like the heyday was over, like, you know, sort of like you're not selling records. You're not going to continue to just get money from a record label. You actually have to like sell records. So. Sure. Yeah. And like fuzzy was like pitiful. So it kind of was like time party's over. So a lot of our friends, you know, when it came to music, it was like, you couldn't stay in Boston because Boston's about science and money. And so a lot of my friends moved to New York and LA to like pursue the music thing like more professionally, whether it was to like go work for a record label or try to get a publishing deal or maybe be in a band, you know, like that's more famous, whatever. And um, I didn't move to New York, but I also didn't have a record deal and I was kind of depressed. And Sean Slade and Paul Caldery, who like, the whole record and stuff they like made demos for fuzzy because they were like oh you're totally gonna get another record label but i just had this sinking feeling like it wasn't this wasn't happening and um then chris you know she got pregnant and was like i'm gonna have a family and take a break from rock and roll and i just was like what am i gonna do and i remember taking the bus home from my job with peter prescott from mission of burma and having him tell me I love Peter Prescott to this day and I'm friends with him. But I remember him saying something to me like, yeah, you know, trying to be in a rock band is like trying to be a supermodel. Like your chances are like, you know, whatever. And I remember being like, wow, like it's over. Like I've never, this was it. Like I didn't realize it, but like, how am I ever gonna like live that life again? Like making records and touring them. And do I have to move to New York? Like I don't wanna move to New York. Like what the fuck am I gonna do? And I also hated the idea of like trying to make it you know, like, I'm yeah. going to go try to like audition for some other band. And like, I loved my band. I loved our community in Boston. I loved the fact that, that there'd be a blizzard and we'd all walk to Green Street Grill and go see Complay anyways. Or, you know, the fact that Mary the Lord would be like, my friend's in town and he, he's playing a show and it would be like Elliot Smith. And you just like walk, you know, like, it was just like this community of like people like just loving music and artists. It wasn't about like whether they were famous or what they were trying to be trying to be somebody like to me and that always made me feel sick so I was like I don't want to move to New York and LA but I don't want to just be in a band that's not going to get signed like I need to do something else that's going to get me attention or make money or do something because I've always been very entrepreneurial about things so I decided to start punk rock aerobics with my friend Maura Jasper who had done some artwork for Dinosaur and she was having a hard time in New York City so she moved to Boston and it was sort of like a joke, like punk rock aerobics. Like I bought the domain in 2000 and we were like, oh yeah, we totally like go to an exercise class if it played cool music and it was in like a rock club and it was dark lighting and there were no mirrors. But then I was like, you know, maybe we should really do this. Like, this is a good idea. Like, let's try to really do it. And then it was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't know, but let's just try to do it. So I got certified as an aerobics instructor, which wasn't hard for me because, like I said, I was a dance major at the Boston Conservatory. And um, more, I started working on all the art and the concept. And then we came up with like three chords, like a punk rock song, like three moves. It's like for the misfit, for people who are disenfranchised with typical images of like beauty and gym culture and all that bullshit. So we're like, let's create an exercise class for the misfit. And so we just started to work on the workout. And then it was sort of a joke. And then it was sort of an art project. And then it turned into like MTV started coming to um, the Middle East downstairs. We were holding classes and like 
we were in Rolling Stone and we were in Newsweek and like, it was ridiculous. We got an insane amount of press and I'm not saying that I didn't want it and that I'm not ambitious and I didn't go like, I want to do this thing. Cause like, I was really depressed about not having a record deal anymore. So I knew I wanted to do something, but I didn't think that this thing would be so, get so much press. I mean, I didn't think I would end up going to London and like Kelly Osbourne doing punk rock aerobics with me. Like the things that happened were crazy. And I think it's also because I was ambitious. I did it in New York too. Like I didn't just stay in Boston and do classes at the Middle East. Like Maura and I would work all week at our jobs. I worked at a store in JP, you know, and then I would get on the Fang Hua and then sleep at my publicist's house on her loft floor, wake up and then teach an exercise class at CBGB's and then at Club Lux in Brooklyn on Sunday and then take the Fung Wah back home and work on Monday. Like I worked like a crazy person, but I knew that if we did it in New York, we would get a lot of press. And we did. We ended up being in the Village Voice and in the New York Post and um, VH1 came to our CBGB's class. So it was sort of like this concept that was sort of a joke and an art project that turned it into actual like a book deal and a video deal. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, as I say, like, <clears throat> I really do love it as a concept because I feel like physical health and fitness aren't really as expressed as much in like underground and punk rock DIY culture. And I think that, you know, this is putting like, you know, saying like, okay, people should get out and take care of themselves and exercise. Right. Well, it's also, it's a whole concept of like, you know, you got to think for yourself in the sense where when we first started this, I mean, this was, we started this in 2000. So it's like 20 years ago now, which yeah. sounds crazy, but we didn't really launch the classes until like 2000 in New York, like it was 2004, but 2003 maybe. But anyways, it doesn't matter. We would get a lot of hate mail where people would be like, it's totally not punk. Oh, really? You're such yeah. posers. And we'd be like, you know what? Thinking for yourself is punk. Like the fact that, you know, we created this thing because we love the music and we yeah. think for ourselves and it's not about a purple mohawk. And it's kind of like the whole concept is um, it's perfect also in the sense where like, you know, anyone can do it, you know, fitness and every anything anyone can do anything that they want to do. And that's why it's awesome. Because if you're punk, you can take a risk and try to be anything you want to be. And so it doesn't mean that you can't be fit. You can't be healthy. Or you can't take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. And, um, you know, I, and again, I also like the concept that you're also sort of challenging the more dominant gym culture and like other, well, you know, what that's supposed to be. And I think which a lot of people like myself kind of find more as like a turnoff, whereas this is like, okay, yeah, we can, you can still like work out and we can still listen to kick-ass music too. Well, yeah, <laughs> that was kind of the problem. That was why we never really made money because people loved the concept and we got so much press and so many people came to the class, but whenever we'd be offered to like, franchise it or put it into gyms we're like no that's the whole point yeah, we don't want yeah. assholes doing this in gyms because we want people who understand the culture and in a way it was almost like a girls rock camp like you can start your own like yeah. go ahead and do your own in your own vfw hall your own anti you know 
establishment place. You know, just don't do it in a gym where there's mirrors and you're supposed to fit in. It's for the misfits, for the person who feels uncomfortable. And that's what, why we did it. Um, it's very grassroots, very DIY. And so it was hard to, we could never franchise it for that, that reason. But also, you know, you can't use Beat on the Brat with moving image and make a video. Right. So it was too expensive to actually make a video. So what we were trying to do is come up with a concept where we would ask a band to cover the classic punk rock song and then give it to a cause. So that's how I found out about the rock and roll camp for girls, which is the whole other part of my life story, which is the rock camp. Cause I reached out to them to give them partial proceeds from our video. That was the whole point. And then they were like, well, you should come out here and do it. And I was like, yeah, I don't have any money. I'm not flying out to Portland, Oregon to jump up and down and do punk rock aerobics for the rock and roll camp for girls. And they were like, well, no, we'll like fly you here and we'll put you up and we'll feed you. And I was like, what? Cause I'm thinking rock and roll camp for girls is like, I don't know, in Portland, Oregon, it's like a camp somewhere where there was like five kids or something. I don't know what it is. It sounded cool. It sounded like a perfect mission match for punk rock aerobics. And, you know, I thought we could donate some proceeds towards this cool little grassroots feminist org. But then when they were like, no, we're like, we got 80 kids a session. We have three sessions. We can fly you here. Like, I was like, oh, shit. So I went and it completely blew my mind what was going on there. It, this was um, like, what year is this now? 2005. Wow. Okay, cool. Oh, wow. So is that where the headquarters was for Girls Rock Camp or campaign? Well, the very first Girls Rock Camp ever was called the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, and it started in Portland, Oregon in the year 2000, the same year that I started Punk Rock Aerobics. Wow. And a woman named SES and Misty started it, and they sort of started it as like a grad school project idea, but it turned into, obviously now, an international movement. But mm -hmm. these two women, sort of like me and Mora with Punk Rock Aerobics, started this thing, and then um, I thought they were cool, and I wanted to support them by giving them some proceeds from our video so we'd ask a band like Sleater Kinney to cover like a song and then give the money to the rock and roll camp for girls because then an artist is also more likely to say yes they would you know obviously give you a song to do for a cause but I didn't realize how established they were so when I went out there I was like holy shit this is like amazing so I went there and I would volunteer and um do punk rock aerobics in their morning assemblies and volunteer for their sessions and be like a guitar instructor or a vocal instructor, just do their assemblies. And I learned how to do it by going there and volunteering every summer. It's awesome. Yeah. Cool. And it was also like something like that I felt like Boston should have, like, even though I loved going there and doing it every summer, I take like my one week off to go be there. I would still like be like shit, you know, Boston should have one because I felt like when I started playing music in Boston, I felt very supported by women. You know, I felt like Tanya Donnelly, she's still like a great supportive friend, you know, be like, go come on tour with us, you know? And like Juliana, like took me on tour with her as I put out records as an older person and not even in fuzzy. You know, she took me to Europe with her. Um, Jen Trinan and um, a lot of just women in Boston, I felt like were 
cool friends and they were supportive and it wasn't competitive. And I was like, why isn't Boston have this, you know, mm -hmm. it's got, I got to start one in Boston, you know, but I, I was, I couldn't, I was scared. But finally, once I turned 40, I did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you did. And it's an amazing thing. Um, I actually remember the first time I saw Mon Monsoor's, uh, as someone pointed at me, I'd be like, wait, I think she's from, from Girls Rock Camp Band. She's the, uh, she runs Girls Rock Camp Band. I was like, oh shit. Cool. I didn't, I didn't even know what that was at the time. Um, yeah. Uh, actually wanted to ask you about, um, so obviously you're in the Monsoor's with, with Andy. Um, you had described seeing Tunnel of Love as, as like being an amazing experience and everything. Was that, um, like, uh, when did the Monsoors form? Like, how'd that come about? Well, I was doing, um, I was in a band called The Count Me Outs. And right. I was playing guitar, the guy from Deluxe Folk Implosion, Mark Preta. I was in his band and it was called the Count Me Outs. And um, we were just sort of, I don't know, a lot of our friends had gotten sort of, I was at that stage where I was doing punk aerobics, but I wasn't doing music as much because I felt sort of depressed about it. And my friends that were doing well were like in New York City being in the band like Luna or some shit, or, um, you know, like sort of moving on to being more corporate rock and roll. So I just was like in this punk rock band for fun doing punk rock aerobics but I felt like I hadn't seen anything that really made me that excited I felt like everyone had kind of gotten older and sort of was doing like you know adult contemporary music yeah, or yeah. you know making money off of making music by being in a more famous band like I'm gonna join the Afghan wigs and then <laughs> local people were sort of just like being solo and playing like mellow music and I just was like really naive thinking like okay well that's how it is now I'm older and like people get older and they play music that's kind of boring, but that's okay. I don't know. I just, but I didn't know that, like, I didn't dawn on me that I was just like older and not seeing what was going on. Like younger people were putting on shows and, you know, so I started to hear about there were shows at um, Mass Art and like I saw lightning bolt at Mass Art in the gym and I was like oh my god like this is amazing and I started to realize like there's all this really not aggressive but like angry and just exciting music still going on like I just didn't know what was going on like these bands coming out of Providence and stuff and I was just like wow so I started going to more shows and then I ended up at Mass Art in like a classroom seeing Tunnel of Love and I was just like, this is the best band I've ever seen in my life. They, they, they were playing in a classroom? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty wild. Yeah, I was in a classroom. And I happened to have like a camera with me. So I took a bunch of photos. And I was like, I have to play with this band. Yeah. So I started to reach out to them. And I was like, hey, I'm in a band called The Count Me Out. It's like, we had just opened up for Mission to Burma. It was like our big like, woo at some, like, I mean, God, I think it was like Mission of Burma's reunion, like starting to get back together again. This was over 19 years ago now, maybe. But like, I was like, hey, I want to play with you guys. And I remember Andy wrote me back <laughs> and he thought, 
I was the drummer because my name is weird. It's Hilkin. And he thought, I don't know, he thought the drummer's name was Hilkin, Mike, the drummer, my friend Mike. <laughs> and so he was like, thanks, dude, but like, we're not really playing shows right now. I, of course, you know, Ton of Love is always so evasive. I knew that, <laughs> you know, his brother would live in New York or something, so I didn't know that, but they never played a lot. But he, I would still continue to write them and be like, hey, how about this show? Or, hey, can we do this? And Andy would write me back like, sorry, dude, we're not doing shows. <laughs> And I would be like, he's just calling me dude because he calls people dude. But then I found out later he thought I was Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thought I was the drummer. It's funny. But eventually I was like, hey, you know, I love your band. And you're amazing. And he was just like, who are you? <laughs> you're some crazy lady. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I knew that he was kind of bummed out because, well, I didn't know if he was bummed out. He's always bummed out. What am I saying? <laughs> but um sam patricus worked for me um at 40 Ah. south the vintage store yeah um and you know Otto, my partner my business partner at the time he was still there it was before i started rock camp kind of he was like uh we're gonna hire this guy he works at boomerangs and i like him a lot and i didn't like sam at first (laughs) (laughs) he was like thrust upon me he was like this is our new employee and i was just like ugh. and you know I, did, I couldn't make a lot of decisions because of this lease. Like it was his space and the rent was really cheap. And I just split the rent with him. So I was like, I got to do what he's, he wants me to do. So I had to work with this guy, Sam. Anyways, one day, who's supposedly working for me, but of course he didn't let me. He had to boss me around. I Meanwhile, it's my store. And then one day he says to me, he's playing, he, get, he comes to work one day and he goes, guess what? We got a guitar player in our band from Tunnel Love. It's sick. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, yeah, I'm in a band, The Needy Visions with Dan. Right. And Andy was playing, I guess, guitar with him. So I was like, oh my God, it's my favorite band. I can't believe he's playing guitar with you. When are you guys going to play again? So they, they were playing some show and I went and then I talked to Andy that night and I was like, hey, you got to, I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't a good show, but I was like, he's just, he's a great guitar player, but I knew he was more than that. And I was like, you got to play. Like, how come you're what's going on with you? Like, Tunnel Love is the best band ever. Like, why aren't you playing? And he just was like, I don't know. Like, my brother isn't live here. Makoto moved to Maine. I'm just, and I was like, you have to continue to play music. You're crazy. Like, why aren't you? And he was just like, like I don't know. And then I was like, well, I have a practice space and I'll play guitar and we'll find a drummer. Like, let's play together. Like, you, you need to have a band. So I kind of pushed him. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm glad you did because definitely, uh, <laughs> Monsters are one of my favorite bands ever. I probably, you probably already know that, but. Well, um. I can say that like for the first time in my life, I can say like I was in a band or I am in a band that is awesome because I don't write any of the music. (laughs) You're being a little too harsh on yourself. but But I feel like it's hard to like love your own stuff. You know, it's hard like with fuzzy. I mean, I can look back at things and be like, that's okay. You know, but I'm not like with Shepherdess, I'm like, I do the best I can. But with Monsieur, like, I don't write the music, so I can just really enjoy it. I can just play guitar. And I've become such a better guitar player because Andy, you know, he just writes everything so he can show me what to play. And I would never play that way. I'm like, oh, I don't want to use my pinky. Like, come on, man. But like, it makes me a better player. And um, it's fun just playing songs and just being a fan almost, even though you're in the band, you're not writing it or singing it. So it is pretty cool. 
Nice. Yeah, you made a good point earlier. I feel like with like a lot of times when um, I hear this even like from bands themselves when they're as they're getting older, like, yeah, we like outgrew punk or something or or they're making like softer music and especially bands that are bigger. It's like almost like an ex- like they're like trying to like give up some reason as to why they're like no longer as aggressive as they used to be. And then it's like you, you see like there's other bands out there that, you know, whether they've been around for for a while or, or whatever, and they're they're playing, they're still playing very abrasive, like loud music. Well, and, and yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, I, I mean, like, I, it's like, I, yeah, I feel like definitely as a woman, um, as I got older, you know, sort of like, what are you doing playing on a Marshall? Like, what are you two hundred, like five hundred watt Marshall? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, you're supposed to be playing, you know, like a Lucinda Williams kind of a set. You know, you're almost 40 like what are you doing and you're just like it made me so angry i'm like i've actually become a better guitar player and i want to play louder now like i want to play angrier music now like why just because i'm older am i supposed to just you know get like take me out to pasture and like sing like songs like joni mitchell like i don't want to right so like that's why i joined the count me outs and that's why shepherdess like i try to play songs that are just that inspire me i'm not going to do something i'm supposed to be doing so i felt like i actually became more aggressive and louder as a musician as a guitar player um as as i got older and i don't care if you know people think that you're supposed to become more like adult contemporary you know like no this is where i'm going this is where i'm going it's because this is where i want to go and this is what i feel is right but you definitely sometimes wonder like I mean, I think that as a woman, sometimes you'll get more questioning. Like, you're not going to say, like, you're not going to call John Felice a warhorse for putting out another record, but you're going to maybe call that to a woman because she's like, why are you still trying to rock and roll? You're like an old lady playing your SG through your 500 watt Marshall. You're crazy. And I'm like, well, good. Then I'm crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I'm all for the the rocking as long as you possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. And then we do have some heroes and we do have some heroes and pioneers like, you know, like I was talking about Dead Moon or Alice Bag or, you know, they're still doing it. And then you're like, yeah. Yeah. You did a show with Alice. You played with uh, Alice Bag. Uh, yeah, I actually interviewed Alice for the punk rock aerobics too. I have some, we're taking a break this summer from our um, interviews, but, we're just editing them, but we did a lot of interviews that are going to come out in the fall with like Jesus Lizard and Alice Bag and um, Buffalo Tom. I don't even know. A lot of other people, a lot of other cool. artists. Nice. Yeah, I'll definitely be keeping my eyes out for those. I've, I've uh, kept up with them and, you know, it's all, all, all the, all a lot of cool bands that I like. And she did the No Bunny. Oh yeah, nobody was yeah. great. <laughs> nobody was awesome. Uh, always. Do you, do you have a definitive a... favorite band? <laughs> what do you mean for punk rock aerobics or my life? Or just in in your life, I guess, or possibly if they're still around, that you would love to, you know, do a be on with you for the aerobics. Well, yeah, I know. I really want to do 2D because I want to do um, Dead Moon was a really important band for me. Mm-hmm. 
just seeing them at the Middle East upstairs and like when I met Andy and he loved them and that would be a highlight for me. Yeah, that's cool. So I'm going to try to reach out and get her contact. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, we talked about this a little bit, I, you know, obviously right now having shows is like, uh, it, you know, especially doors is kind of out of the question right now, but, but, um, what do you think like the futures of, I know it's a loaded question, but what, what do you think the future of uh, shows is looking like right now? Well, I mean, I just, that's like a hard question to yeah. answer because I feel yeah. like in 20, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel like this is not going to be over even when there's a vaccine. Cause I think, yeah, I don't know, like the whole thing about antibodies, like you can get sick, but you can, then they test you and you don't have any antibodies and like, how are they going to then give us a vaccine? Cause the vaccines are antibody. Like it just seems so messed up. Yeah. And I just think that we're going to have to walk around with masks on our faces for like 10 more years. I mean, not 10 years, but I just, I just don't see an end to this. Even if there's a vaccine, I think some people are still going to get it and they don't know why. Um, so that being said, I don't think there's going to be a lot of bars and clubs open, but I think that people can start making their own spaces and having music and not caring and not worrying. Um, yeah, I think uh, I have some hope a little bit more for like DIY spaces because it's like you can do them anyway, you know, or like underground, you know. Well, that's spaces. what, yeah, I think that the DIY thing will come back stronger than ever because yeah. that's all we're going to have. And I think that's great because it shouldn't be about, you know, making money and selling drinks. It's just bullshit. You know, it should be about. People yeah. Are you still with us? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Is Glenn still with us now? Yeah. Do you, Glenn? Do you, okay. Sorry. I just heard some like shit in the background. That's okay. Um, um, well, Hilkin, when do you think the, well, hmm, it's hard to say, but do you think we'll see anything in 2020 as far as shows, be it outdoors or whatever? Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I think people are going to play outdoors and, Maybe it won't be full bands. Maybe it'll just be acoustic show. I don't know. I think people are going to do it outside. I mean, I don't know though. Like you have to have a permit if you have a PA. So depends on how um, industrious, I guess you want to be. But I do think yeah. it's going to create a whole other sort of DIY space that's going to be more organic and more about people just really wanting it to happen and making it happen. Because you know, if you want to make this stuff happen, you can do it. And people really miss it. I mean, I miss seeing art and music. Yeah, definitely. And I miss connecting with people, and it's it's gonna have to come back. Yeah, totally. I miss uh, I miss shows. Like this is the longest I've gone without going to a show in like over a decade, easily. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, do you have any any like anything else you wanna? add or any other like uh shout outs or plugs or anything like that 
Um, no, I mean, honestly, I just think it's great. You guys are doing what you're doing. You got to keep on doing what you're doing, you know, like reaching out to me was great. And I appreciate it. And getting people to think more about what our next phase is so that we can keep music and community and the DIY spirit alive. You know, we got to keep going. And it seems hard right now. Cause you're like, why am I, I mean, like with these punk rock aerobic things, I understand why I'm doing the class every week because it's good for me to exercise and I feel better when I exercise and other people do too. And they reach out to me and they say, thanks. And you know, stress relief. I like giving proceeds to a cause. It gives me something to look forward to, but you know, like when I was making the videos and stuff, I'm like, does anyone care? <laughs> like, like, why am I doing this? It's so weird. But then you're like, yeah. no, it's like, it's your project. It's like your baby. It's like your thing. I mean, it's the same way I feel when I go to my store and I do a house call, which by the way, I just recently got some really good t-shirts. So you guys okay. should come in. <laughs> All right. Um, oh yeah. To, I have to clean them. I mean, like I literally <laughs> just got them out of a house this week, but this teacher from Mass Art. It's amazing. There was a fire, but the clothes that, that were damaged, I took and I got to buy them. It's cool. But anyways, like I get in the zone and I like go through all these t-shirts. It's fun. It's like a creative thing for me. And so you have to remember like why you do these things. Because even if I'm not going to be able to open my store in two weeks because of COVID, or even if I'm going to work on this episode for punk rock aerobics or work on a song um, on Logic and like work on some thing like and you're like why am I doing this is anyone gonna hear this does anyone care is anyone gonna be able to go to my store and shop it's like you get lost in that you get lost in that vision and that art and that idea whatever it might be you know your mind you need that you know you need to be inspired and you need to keep on dreaming because that's all we have and so mm -hmm. like the fact that you guys are reaching out to me and that you're asking me like what do you think and the fact that you're thinking about how you could do it like those dreams and those inspirations, they keep us alive. And we got to remember that. And we just got to keep doing it. Because when we do get out of this, whenever, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be good. And it's going to be something that's going to be inspired, truly inspired, because it's going to come from a place where we needed to grow and make shit happen. Damn, I couldn't have said that. Yeah, very inspirational. <laughs> yeah, very, very inspirational. Um, thank you very much. You really really appreciate it and i can't wait to see you uh play live again um uh, yes <laughs> really appreciate it from the yeah thanks bottom. for asking me thanks for asking yeah. great to hear your voices uh likewise yeah i mean it from the bottom of my uh my beer filled heart <laughs> 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 all right beef the rock Hell yeah. Right. Hey, like you, you say, so Hilkin, say, hey, can you say your the punk rock aerobics mantra? Like Which the, one? Well, I mean, like the stick together. Oh, you mean my, when I talk, when I quote SSD control? Yeah. <laughs> when I quote, when I quote Springer, when I say okay. we got to stick together, like glue, like crew, which yes. is such a great song. You guys I didn't, actually, yeah, you yeah. should, Play that song. When you do this podcast, do you play music before and after? No, but we could. We haven't, but I had thought about that. I but, think that uh, when you're done yeah. with my interview, you should play the SSD control song, Gotta Stick Together, Gotta Stick Together, like Glue, like Crew. 
because okay, it's weird. I know that song, but I, I actually didn't even make that connection. <laughs> like, I yeah, should have. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite songs ever, and um, it's true. We got to stick together like Blue Light Crew because this is the only way we're going to get through this. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I've been saying that now at the end of the videos. <laughs> All right, you All right. guys. We'll have a great night. Good luck with everything, and I hopefully we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Elkin. Thank you, Elkin. Okay. Bye. Bye.